I have the opportunity to continue a series that we started three weeks ago. It's a series that we're calling Unafraid. And uh, in this series, we're really pressing into the question, what might it look like if we lived life a little less afraid? What might it look like if we lived life a little less afraid? What kinds of decisions might you make or might you make differently if you weren't afraid? What kinds of risks might you dare to take if you weren't afraid? What kind of kids might you let your kids play with if you weren't Afraid. Who might you invite over to your home for dinner if you weren't afraid? Um, man, what crazy fun trip might you say yes to taking with your crazy high school friends if you weren't afraid? Who might you share hope with? What brokenness might you engage more intentionally if not for Fear. What might it look like if you lived life a little less afraid? And it's such a great question because whether we realize it or not, for all of us, like an operating system functioning behind the scenes, driving the apps of our lives, we are motivated so much and so often by fear. Again, in ways we typically don't realize, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. What might it look like? Um, I have good news for you, by the way, before uh, we carry on. Um, No matter who you are, no matter who you happen to be or where you happen to be in your struggle with fear, I came to announce to you, it is possible for you to live victoriously over fear. It is possible for you to actually start to take steps to live life a little less Afraid, it is possible. And one of the reasons I know this is because one time Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 14. We'll put it up on the screen, um, I think, so you can see it. If not, I will read it to you. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew 14 verse 27. Take courage, he said to his followers. It is I, which is always a great reason to take courage. Don't be afraid. I'm just kidding, by the way. Jesus didn't only say this one time. It is actually the most repeated command in all of scripture. About 365 times in one way or another, the Bible calls us to take steps away from fear and to live with some level of courage. It is the most repeated command in all of the Bible. And I just want you to know, God is not going to command us to do something. He's not going to equip us to experience. It is possible for you to live victoriously over fear. It is possible for you to take steps to live life a little less afraid. So, in this series, we want to talk about that. What might it look like? Not just to live life a little less afraid, but to take steps to experiencing life unafraid. Uh, We're going to look at uh, a story in the Old Testament here in uh, a little bit. But before that, you know, I thought, let's Let's take some time. We did this about two and a half years ago, but let's take some time to talk about fear 
And in particular, let's take some time to talk about fear and how it works and shows up on the inside of us. Because it's really hard to battle against or to fight something if we don't understand it. And fear often operates behind the veils of life undetected. And so it becomes very difficult for us to deal with it. So we want to kind of pull back the veil, expose fear for what it is so we can get a growing handle on it. And in light of that, figure out what it looks like to take steps towards being unafraid. So um, there are a lot of uh, psychological and philosophical layers to the idea of fear. Um, But at the end of the day, Fear is simply our internal response to a perceived threat. It's our internal response to a perceived threat. Whenever you believe something is positioned to cause you harm or cause you hurt, that internal response is called Fear. I don't know if you've ever, maybe possibly, one time or another, experienced it. Um, Fear. I I want to say something about the nature of fear. The nature of fear. And uh, by the nature of fear, I mean the fact that you may not know this, but fear is natural. I'm going to take it a little bit further than that. Um, It's a part of your default factory settings. I'm going to take it a little further than that. (laughs) Fear is something God designed in the human experience. Fear is... Natural. God wired you with a fear instinct. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, fear is part of who you are as a person. And please hear me and maybe experience a little freedom on account of this. There is nothing wrong with you because you feel afraid. I wish as a man... In the cultures in which I have lived, somebody would have told me this growing up. There is nothing wrong with you because you feel afraid. God designed you to feel afraid. He's saying contradicting things. Hey, listen, I have the mic, so I can. Um, I think in a desire to help God's people live a little less afraid... We run the risk of helping God's people live a little more ashamed of the fact that they experience fear at all. And you listen to a message like this, no fear, and you go home. And um, some of my kids, I'm glad we're not in a season like this, although saying this may re-instigate this season. But um, my kids will go through seasons where they quite enjoy, like um, hiding in different places. nooks in the house particularly like when you walk into the house there's a little nook and they'll jump up ah you know and you scream and they find great delight in this right 
I don't know <laughs> where we went wrong as parents. In fact, I was working late last night, uh, getting ready to come and hang out with you. And one of my kids came behind me and just splashed some stuff on me and then hid. So I'm turning around, like trying to figure it out just to startle and scare me, right? And in the event that I should freak out, there's actually nothing wrong with me. It's natural to feel afraid. It's natural to be scared, which is so interesting, though, because it's like <laughs> I'm the first one. No, I wasn't afraid. I was, I was just screaming because because I felt like it, you know. Yeah, because fear is actually um, natural. If you experience fear, I just want to say to you, congratulations on your humanity. Um, if you don't experience fear, I'm scared of you. Psycho, you're going to do some crazy stuff. Um, Fear is not just natural. Fear is beneficial. Can we talk about the benefits of fear? And if you take any amount of time to think about this, um, it'll make sense that fear is actually useful. When I was a kid, this is a true story. I remember I was playing outside our house, like uh, by the front porch, barefoot as I tended to be. Um, as God intended, and um, I felt like a tickle on my foot, not my left foot, so much my right foot. Um, I look down, and there is a slithery serpent just making its home on my foot. And I know I'm old, so my flexibility is not the same, but I proceeded to do something like, ah, like that, flung that thing off my foot and squealed. And by the way, that is always my response when I see a snake. To this day, I feel like I'm starting to learn what was the the source of that great fear of the serpent. Um, That's okay, Kondo. Um, Maybe somebody needs to tell me that. Like, that's that's okay. Um, Thank you. Um, Because it's a snake, Right? Um, And my response is simply recognizing that there is the possibility of some serious harm or danger to my body. Because fear is beneficial. It's how you recognize the possibility that you might get hurt. It's a safety and survival mechanism. It is why you are still alive. Because you recognize danger and you got out of the way. Something is potentially harmful and you broke up with it. (laughs) That's why you're still alive for some of us. Fear is God's natural mechanism to warn us of danger. Um, Fear. Fear has different triggers. Let's talk about that for a, a quick second. Because we all experience fear. Fear is natural. Fear is actually useful. Um, but what triggers fear in you is not necessarily going to trigger fear in me. What triggers fear in me is not necessarily going to trigger fear in you. I wonder, by the way, if you even know what triggers fear in you, because many of us don't for the most part. Um, Man, because some of you heard my snake story, and you thought, because you are crazy, you thought, oh, a snakey. Because that's insane. 
Because snakes don't trigger fear in you. And yet if I said to you, do you mind coming up here and introducing yourself to the congregation? You'd be, ah! Right? Because speaking in front of people, that would trigger fear in you. Because what triggers fear for me does not necessarily trigger fear for you. I'm terrified of cat hair. Because it's gross. Has to be poisonous. The research just hasn't come out um, yet. You may not be, but you're terrified of people and social settings. Matter of fact, to come into an environment like this for you takes a little extra something. Some of you are terrified of change. Things have to stay the same. They have to stay the same. Uh, Some of you, the idea of things staying the same triggers fear in you. You would just move and quit and change because you need to mix it up. Need to mix it up. Some of you are scared of commitments. Why you haven't put a ring on it? Some of you are scared of sickness. Um, In some crazy ways, other people, they're not scared of sickness. Like my kids by their, some of their hygiene choices. Um... Some of you are scared of girls. Some of you are scared of singleness. Like, mm mm-mm. If I even said to you, have you ever considered, take that back in the name of Jesus, right? Scared of singleness. Some of you are scared of marriage. Some of you are scared of betrayal. Some of you are scared of weakness or the appearance of weakness. Some of you are scared of government overreach. That freaks you out. Others are like, why is everyone freaking out about that? Some of you are scared of aging. <laughs> Some of us are triggered by, you know, the idea of becoming a grandparent too soon. Preach. Um, just because I'm not freaked out by why freaks you out doesn't mean I don't experience fear. Our triggers are different. It is tempting to say, well, I don't struggle with fear. I don't feel fear um, because what may be Triggers fear in a large chunk of the community in which you live just doesn't do anything for you. But rest assured, something triggers fear in you. And like we said last week, for some of us, it's the fear of seeming afraid. That seeming afraid and weak, that's mm, so therefore. But for all of us, there is a trigger. And it is helpful when you actually do some work to learn what some of those triggers are. Um, Because they won't always announce themselves. Some of them are so subtle. Like I said, they function behind the scenes. I'll give you an example. The fear of being ordinary. It's not something you're going to feel pounding in your chest on a regular basis. The fear of rejection. It doesn't announce itself. It's, It's behind the surface, but that triggers fear for you. So when someone gets too close to you in a relational setting, you start to do strange things and you pull away because fear of rejection or the fear of being out of control. It's not going to be something that you feel acutely. Trust or leaving the house with no makeup or kids not liking you, whatever the case might be. But here's what I know, man. During the lockdown, a lot of us discovered triggers in us for fear that I don't think we knew 
existed. Because <laughs> one of the, the perks of living life the way we do, as busy as we often keep ourselves, is we get to actually avoid ever having to pull back the veil and look at ourselves in honest ways and figure out, like, what really am I afraid of? I don't know. Go to another meeting, right? Um, but the pandemic, I think, brought to the surface for us many fears. I don't think we knew or realized that we... Had. Some of them were weird, like present parenting, for instance. For some of us, were like, wow. For so long, I've used the excuse of being busy, 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 busy. Now I have to be present, looking my kids in their eyes, and it's like, this is weird, man. It's freaking me out. For some of us, intimacy freaked us out, because all of a sudden, I'm spending time with people close to me, and I can't be like, I have to go to... I've got nowhere to go, you know. Um, and all of a sudden, we realized certain things we're afraid of. But certainly, most, if not all of us, realized how triggered we are by uncertainty. Because before this, I could see five years ahead of me, and all of a sudden, I don't know what's going to happen five hours from now, let alone five days from now. The point being, We have different triggers, but all of us have some. And those triggers will stir in us a sense of threat that will cause fear. Um, And when fear gets triggered in us, it shows up in very interesting ways. Some of the symptoms of fear. And again, those will be different in different ones of us. Again, we're just pulling back the veil on the anatomy of fear. So that it makes sense when we come back to what the Bible has to say. Um, The symptoms of fear. Um, For some of us, when we sense threat, you're going to feel your heart start to beat really fast. In fact, for many of us, that's how I know I'm scared. Because my heart is beating. Um, We'll do this sometimes to our kids. No, I'm not scared. Let me feel your heart beat. You know, like, okay. Um, You may start to sweat in different places, again, some places more pleasant than others, or your mouth may get um, extraordinarily dry when you are experiencing fear. Your breathing may become labored. I'm having a hard time breathing right now, or I'm breathing really rapidly right now as a symptom that I am afraid. For some of us, we might become angry when we feel afraid or, or sad because we feel afraid or nauseous or we may experience, let's say, weakened bodily faculties, right? And for some of you, it's like, oh my, I'm so anxious and nervous and scared about this presentation to the bathroom, right? Anytime before something major is happening, you know you're afraid or nervous or scared because you're in the restroom, right? As one of the symptoms of fear. This is your body responding to this trigger of fear. Um, And that is going to typically lead to a number of different things. And you've heard this said, you know, um, you're going to, you know, fight, flight, or, you know, you know, freeze. And somebody told me about fawn this morning. I was not aware of that particular response, which is very similar to um, a a freeze response. Uh, But again, when I'm afraid, I'm going to start to experience symptoms. My body is going to start to do things, and it's readying me 
to react. It's readying me to do something. And typically, I'm either going to fight, I'm going to run, or I'm going to just freeze, right? I'm going to fight. And that may show up different ways, where I start to lie, I start to defend myself, I may take a swing at you, I may, I'll come on the offensive because I'm afraid I'm going to protect myself. Animals do this, right? Um, it's a fight response. So I'm going to flee. Like, oh no, I'm going to change my circle of friends. I'm going to head somewhere else. I'm going to leave. I'm going to bail out, right? Because I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to run as far away as possible from the threat. That's the flight response. So the freeze response, which just says, I'm going to resign and I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to sit here and brace for the inevitable. It's this feeling of helplessness. There's nothing I can do. I'm just going to have to embrace it. Um, which, by the way, which is why some of you exaggerate a lot. It may be the way that you process fear of maybe being insignificant or being seen as, seen as little. And so you exaggerate a lot as almost a fight response. I am fighting the feeling of seeming really small in front of other people. Uh, for some of us, that's why we yell at our kids. Oh man, we rage out and we yell at our kids. And the people around you may say, she's a crazy mom, right? And it's like, whoa, n- n- no, that's my fear response. I'm so scared that something is going to happen to them if they continue to do this thing. So in order to protect them and in order to keep them safe, I am yelling because I'm terrified of what might happen. And you can see, by the way, why all your life you may talk about the anger that you exhibit, but you never address the fear behind it that is the operating system motivating what you're doing. Because I don't know if you knew it, but so many of the decisions we make are driven by fear. We just don't realize how. Um, You move from friend groups like crazy because you're scared of rejection, right? So you run. You're not going to work things through. You're going you're gonna to bail. So it's like you don't keep the same circles for long. That may be another way that you know, man, something was threatening to me. And this is my flight response. Uh, or for some of you, people may say, ha, 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 you are so indecisive. That's your freeze response. You're so scared that you're going to make a mistake so you don't make decisions. So you make a decision, you look bad. And so it's better to just be like, I don't know, somebody else make the decision. Fear. And couples, we experience fear of each other and with each other a lot, right? Where do you want to go and eat? Sorry, first word problems. You know, where do you want to go and eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go and eat? I don't care. What about you? I don't care. Okay, Taco Bell it is. No! (laughs) Okay, you do care, right? Freeze. Um... All right, here's what we're saying. There is no brand of humanity. There is no level of Christianity where the reality of fear stops being a reality. It is part of who we are. And it's actually wise for us to understand the ways in which it's useful. It is wise for us to learn to understand some of the the ways that we are triggered. It's wise for us to understand, am I typically a flight person? Am I a fight person? Am I a freeze person? Um, It's wise for us to understand the anatomy of fear. Otherwise, we just talk about this word 
and try and address it without necessarily understanding or recognizing the ways that it's at play or at work in our lives. When we talk about unafraid, technically, there is no such person. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm somebody who lives completely. I want my goals to be completely fearless. No, fearless people are dead people. Because they, they didn't know not to poke a bear, right? They didn't know not to move away from the rattling sound in the bushes. They didn't know not to ask a woman her age, right? So they're dead people at this point. Um, no, fear is a part of us. Let's just learn it, figure it out, understand it, and spend some time, you know, um, seeing Gabe Kozer in therapy. Like, it's just part of who we are. So, help me. Why would God say 300 plus times in some version or another, do not be afraid? How can you get up and say then that it's possible to live life victorious? Over fear, if fear is just a part of who we are. That is such a great question. If fear is God-given, then why would God tell us not to be afraid? The problem is not the feeling of fear. The problem is the choice I make because of fear. The problem is not the feelings, it's the choices. The Bible is not saying, do not feel afraid. It's actually saying, do not be owned by the feeling of fear. Do not be owned by fear, not do not fear. Feel fear. Come on. If we don't understand that, some of us are going to live with shame unnecessarily and guilt unnecessarily because I feel anxious or I feel fear. No, feeling the fear is not the problem the Bible has. The Bible is saying, do not let fear become the primary fuel behind the decisions that you make. Living a little less afraid is about letting fear dictate less of what I choose to do. You were designed to feel fear. You were never designed to be led by it. Okay, the story in the Old Testament. This is a story that we've looked at, uh, man, a number of different times here at uh, Mission Point. It's going to be familiar to um, many of you. This is in, in Numbers and we're going to start reading at verse number, uh, Numbers chapter 13. We'll start reading at, at verse 27. But I think this story um, helps to bring some of these pieces together for us. Um, a little bit of context. Uh, the Israelite uh, nation, God's chosen people, have been miraculously set free from 400 years of brutal, oppressive slavery in Egypt, which we talked about uh, a little bit last 
week. Uh, but God didn't just pull them out of slavery. God pulled them out of slavery, gave them a promise. He swore on oath. I'm not going to just take you out of their country. I'm going to give you a country of your own. I am going to give you a place of your own. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you a paradise of your own from which you can live out my purposes. Oh, this place is going to be incredible, flowing with milk and honey, as the description says. This lush and glorious place. You no longer have to be without a home of your own. I will give you this land of promise. So when we join the story, uh, this newly liberated nation, um, Israel, is camped 11 days away from the land that God has promised. They're on the verge of seeing this and setting their feet in this glorious piece of real estate. 11 days away, Moses, their leader, sends 12 men to go into the promised land to go scout it, to go spy it out. Go and tell us who's living there right now. What's it like? Is it as glorious and as good as God says it is? And at the end of their little expedition, they come back and they give Moses this report. This is verse 27. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it says in Hebrew, it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But (laughs) problem is, the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Jump down to verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. They're giants. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Here it is at work. So the Israelite spies go into Canaan and they experience the threat of harm. They experience the threat of being hurt, right? They explore this land And they run into these gigantic humans, thought to be half man, half angel, freakishly big giants. They're so large, they said, we look like grasshoppers to them. Um, They're stronger than we are, and this is their home. Uh, Translation. If they figure out that we are trying to come in and evict them, they will squash us like the grasshoppers that we are. There is a perceived threat of these giants harming them. And they feel fear. So they come home and they report 
the message of the giants. And the rest of the Israelite community starts to experience and share that feeling of fear, which, by the way, eventually evolves into levels of dread. Chapter 14, verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Now, again, if I'm watching them, I'm like, all these people are crying. Well, that is an expression, a manifestation of their fear. It's how fear showed up. And for some of them, or at least it says for for most of them, verse 2, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, man, if only we had died in slavery back in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? And then the paranoia face. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Now fear has done its thing in them. They've processed it a bit and it's readying them for the flight response. In fact, it's not just readying them. They have committed to the flight response. The giants are too strong for us. They're going to crush us. Let's run back to Egypt because slavery was safer. Which, by the way, if we had time, we would talk about the ways that you continue to go back to some of those messed up relationships and those broken places, even though you know God has liberated you and set you free from them because sometimes fear will drive you back to a dysfunctional thing that's familiar as a flight response, which is what they want to do. God is so angry with the Israelites that he swears that none of this generation except two people was going to set foot into the promised land. And so they circle around the desert for 40 years, 11 days away from paradise. They end up circling in the desert for 40 years until that entire generation dies off. Millions of Israelites who never got to set foot in the land that was promised to them. Millions of Israelites who never got to see the glorious lush milk and honey, whatever that looked like in this land. Because of fear. But it was never because they felt afraid. It was because they chose to let fear drive the decisions that they ultimately made. Being afraid of giants is not just understandable. I think it's kind of smart. But the fear of these giants started to drive the decisions that they made. And here is why God was furious. And here's where I believe God would want to speak to some, if not all, of us. The problem was that their fear made the giants... Greater than their God. 
The problem was they started to make decisions driven by fear of the giants, not faith in their God. And God is ticked off by that. You are saying the giants are greater than me. The land was amazing, they said. It was exactly as God said, they said. It was awesome, off the chain, they said. Um, but the giants. God is great, they said. I mean, the thing he did with the Red Sea, splitting that thing and, and letting us walk on dry ground, that was awesome. God, you are good. But the giants, they're greater. And so our decision is going to be driven not by you, God, but by the giants. Not by the promises you've made, but by the possibilities of what those giants might do to us. The problem is not feeling fear. The problem is what you choose to do with it. What fear drives you to ultimately choose. It's when fear drives us to fight when God says, trust me. It's when fear drives us to flee when God says, stand. Right? It's the fear when it, it causes us to freeze when God says, go. It is green light time. Go. Well, we would... But you see what's ahead of us if we go. So we freeze when God says go. That's the problem with fear. And I wonder the ways in which fear may have giants in our lives bullying us out of what the great God has promised or called us to. Church, give generously to the broken and the hurting who are in need. And I promise you, I will make sure you are always supplied. Yeah, that's good in everything, God. But what about the potential economic downturn? What about what could happen if the economy crashes again? So we have made a decision based on the fear of the giant of a potentially dysfunctional economy that we are going to freeze all generosity. When God says, go. That's when fear becomes, I wonder, is there an area where God is saying go and his promises are saying, I got you. And his presence is saying, I'm with you. And you are saying, yeah, but name the giant. It is time to forgive that person. Uh, Yeah, God, I hear you. But the possibility of being taken advantage of is a real threat to me. The possibility of being thought of as a pushover. Mm-mm. That giant is a little too great. Man, a um, couple of months ago now, I think, a, a couple of people came into my office to, to talk to me. Because uh, I have an office now. <laughs> Thank you, by the way, uh, for your, uh, your... Anyway, so uh, they came 
into the office and uh, one was there for support and the other was there, pulled out a journal and the journal had at least three pages filled out, handwritten. And this person said to me, I cannot live in peace until I tell you all these things that I believe God has me to tell you exactly as I wrote them. Uh, Fear, by the way, a little bit. Like, I hope it's good stuff. Um, Okay. Proceed. Number one. You need to forgive this person. And she named the person. Like, um... I can list at least seven people that I like less than that person. I didn't even know that there was a need or a reason to forgive this particular individual. She went on to say, there are places God wants to take you, but will not because you are stuck in unforgiveness. Of this person. Um, There are things he wants to do in your ministry. That are paused because you will not forgive or have not forgiven this person. I'm just telling you, I'm not just asking y'all. I'm asking myself, are there places where I may be stuck and wandering in the wilderness instead of stepping into the places and the promises God has for me because I'm afraid of taking a really scary step? How is your own experience of forgiveness Being richly blessed because you are making the courageous decisions to step into places he's calling you to step into. Maybe in relation to forgiveness. Um, God may be saying to many of us, love the stranger. Isaiah 58. And your breakthrough is going to come like, like the noonday sun. Yeah, God, I hear you, and the promise sounds great, but what if, though, like, this is just a trick for, you know, hurting or broken or the stranger to hurt us? I'll be with you. If you do what I say, I will be with you. Maybe for some of us, it's speak the truth in love. You are aware of that situation in which somebody you care about is living sinfully. And you've made excuses about, well, but I don't feel like it's my my right. And like, what will they think? Like, I'm not holier than they are. So I'm just going to the giant of being perceived as self-righteous is too great. So I'm going to hold off on saying and addressing what you have called me. I don't want to lose social points with them. Sorry, God. Their rejection is a little bit bigger than your presence with 
me. The problem with fear is not that you feel it. The problem with fear is when it starts to drive decisions and drive decisions away from the promises and the purposes that God has spoken over me. Share the gospel. Yeah, but they may reject me. Call me a Bible basher. So I'm not going to share the gospel with my friends at school. Do you know how uncool that would be? God, you are cool. But being cool in the eyes of my friends who I'm not going to remember their names in four years, that. And fear is driving. And can I just tell you, it is keeping you out of, I don't know what milk and honey is for you, but it is keeping you out of spaces God is inviting you. To go, what might your life look like if you lived a little less afraid? Disciple your kids in my ways. Not for their friendship. Disciple them for their future. And when they grow up, they will not. Yeah, but none of their friends' parents are doing what we're doing. So we're weird now. In fact, all their friends know we're weird, you know. Um, and I really want to have a, like a, let them to like me and like. Disciple them for their future according to what I've said. And many times there's a fear of, you know, I've heard it said a lot, like, man, I want to have a relationship with my kids so that they want to come home when they're adults. I don't think that's the goal. It's a par- this is not a parenting series. All right, let's move on. Um, what lands are you missing out on? Um, because of, and, all right, I'll tell this story real quick. So I... I I think as I've worked through some of this, figuring out like, man, there is again, like a latent fear of um, uh, rejection that often functions beneath the surface for me, even as a pastor, like uh, the approval of people can, can take such a, a heavy place in my ministry. And I've shared that with, with all of you. Um, and it shows up like even on a Sunday, like if I, I didn't feel like I did very well, um, I'm like in Jesus name, amen. And then I want to go hide. Like I just want to hide, you know, feel a little shame and the fear of rejection or what people might be thinking about me and things of that sort. Um, so I don't know if I told you, but two people came into my office and one of them had a journal. And anyway, so continued and said, um, oh, and God wants you to know it's time for you to lay hands on people again. Like, whoa, that's a lot, you know, and some of it, like, who am I? And what if they don't want? And what if, but they like, they, they, it's COVID, you know, and all of those different things. Um, and I'm like, okay, all right, we'll give it a shot. In fact, it was very specific. This thing in your life, let me tell you the exact thing in your life that's being held up because you haven't yet done this. So you've noticed some of you, like, man, in the last few months, like, I will say amen, and I will step down here and be available to pray with people. And I'm just warning you, if you come down, at some point, I may ask you, can I put my hand on you? And you can say no, 
and I, I will honor that, I think. But to me, it, there is still, for me, this exploring into these really murky places. Um, somebody came and said to me, I think you're supposed to pray for this individual. Um, like, okay, why? Well, this individual is having surgery in a certain amount of time. In fact, they haven't yet decided because they're still waiting for some swelling to go down because some inner organs are doing some funky stuff. And when the swelling goes down, then they'll be able um, to perform the, the surgery. And that's why this person's wearing this device in order to help this thing, you know. So just pray for them that the surgery would go well. I was standing right here and I'm like, I think we're supposed to pray that this individual won't need the surgery at all. But that's weird. Because fear, by the way, you know, when you pray for people, what if it doesn't work? But that's what we're supposed to pray for. So we prayed for it. And I don't know, I was out of town like a few days later. I'd forgotten about it. I got word, hey, so it turns out we won't need that because something inside just fixed itself. I'm like, I want more of that. I want more of that land. I want more of those promises. I want more of those experiences, Lord. I want more of what your purposes look like when I step out of these places and I'm now driven by the promises and the calling of God. I want more of that. And can I just say, I want more of that for y'all. I want more of that for us. I want more of that for this community as a movement rises up and says... Man, we are leaning into what God has called us to. And even though we may stumble, we may mess up, we may trip, all of things might happen, but he will be with us. His promises will be true. And we're going to continue to move forward. I just wonder what might the Lord be calling you to. You know he's been stirring something in you. Or what promises have you seen repeated over and over in the scriptures, but you are just a little bit too afraid that, but what if it doesn't work? That's when fear becomes a problem. Um, This is, to me, such an interesting, compelling um, story. Um, I find it interesting in the the, the way the, the Israelites respond and some of the similarities to us. Because they ended up missing out on God's future because... They started, here's how they lived. They started believing a future painted by fear. Not painted by the promises of God, not painted by the word of God, but painted by fear. They have faith, but their faith is in a version of the future that fear has painted. And that's why I think the church is. We have faith, but our faith is in a future painted by politicians. It's, it's in, a faith, in a future painted by the headlines and by the media and by the news and by all the you know, pandemic experts. And so at the end of the day, what we are living in light of is a future painted by fear. And what we say is, man, but that possibility of what could happen is greater than what God has promised he will do. And what God has called us to step out and do. And all of a sudden, we're living in futures painted by COVID reports. And and futures painted by socialism. And futures painted by racism. And futures painted by sickness. Um, 
And before long, as parents, we start to speak those futures over our kids, right? We're so afraid of what will go wrong in their lives, we've stopped speaking over them the promises of God. We've stopped speaking over them what God has said he will do in their lives. We're so busy keeping them away from things. And now we're painting their futures with fear because of what it is that we are leaning into, what it is that we are saying. And I love what Joshua and Caleb would ask us. I'm sorry, whose report are you uh, believing? Um, I'm sorry, whose report are you repeating? Um, This is how the, the story wraps. This is chapter 14, verse 5. Moses and Aaron fell face down. In front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh. um, Who were among those who had explored the land. Tore their clothes. This is Caleb and, and Joshua. And said to the entire Israelite assembly. Hey. Hang on. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Just like God said. If the Lord is pleased with us. He will lead us into that land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Might I remind you. Um, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. We need more Joshua's and Caleb's in our churches, don't we? We need to be more of this. We will devour them, they say. Not grasshoppers, like we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. I love that. And if the Lord is with us, who can be against us? We will devour the giants. Only do not be driven by a fear of them. I love that. Joshua and Caleb don't deny that the giants exist and that they're dangerous. Joshua and Caleb do not even deny the fact that they are experiencing fear. I pray that we are a church that is honest enough with each other. Like, I'm really scared. I'm going to do it. Because God has said, but don't get me wrong. I am terrified right now. Um, Which, as I've shared with many of you, is usually my experience coming out here every week. (laughs) Anyway, um, I love what they say. It's not that we don't see all of these things or feel these things. It's that we choose to repent. Repeat the better report. They don't ask what do we see. They're not driven by, primarily by what do we feel. Um, they're not primarily driven by what could happen or what could go wrong. They're driven by, yeah, that's all true. But what has God said? We will acknowledge the possibility of what could go wrong. But we are going to lean on the promise and make decisions out of the promises of God. What has he said though? So they start making these declarations. We'll devour them. How do you know? Because God promised this is our land. It's the only outcome. And I love it. So they start to repeat the better report. And the better report is always what has God said. The better report is not what the media said. It's not what the statisticians say to you. It's not what your past has said to you. It's not what possibility says to you. The question is what has God promised you in the midst of and on the other side of you doing what he's called you to do. 
And I'm telling you, in the midst of all the craziness of our world, I pray that the church would rise up and start a pandemic of promises. I'm just saying it worked the other way, and it's working the other way in our culture now. Ten people shared a bad report, and the report spread throughout the entire nation, and the entire nation started to respond to the bad report. I'm like, well, let's share a different report. A report of Josh and Cal over here, who are like, yeah, fear, I feel you. But God has said, oh, I feel you, but... God has, what if I fail? I fear I feel you, (laughs) but I know the plans he has for me. What if it doesn't work? What if we can't? Yeah, I feel you, but the power that raised Jesus from the dead is on the inside of me. What, What if our nation goes to, well, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm telling you, I think one of the ways we start to take a step in the direction of living life a little less afraid is let's repeat over and over the things God has said. And I'm telling you, if you're honest, we are repeating the headlines over and over and over more than we are what God has said. Which is one of the reasons at Mission Point we're going to continually tell you, know this book Love this book. Learn what he has to say. Love his promises. And continue to repeat them. In your home, in your car, in your music. Repeat the promises of God. So those things are constantly on repeat. And then when fear shows up and starts to speak about giants, you're like, yeah, I feel you. But God has said. I wonder what thing he might be calling you to. What promise he's speaking over you. That you've been holding back on. There are places he wants to take us. If we stop being driven by fear and choose to come back to what has God promised. I bet you whatever it is he may be calling you to, stirring you to, or will call you to, or stir you to. He has a promise. At a minimum, I will be with you. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much for your incredible grace to us. Thank you for your promises. Your promises are yes in the person of Jesus. I pray that we would be a people who come back to what you've said in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of political turmoil, in the midst of government issues and, 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 and racism and all of the things that are stirring fear in us. I pray that we would come back to, yes, those things may be true, but what has God spoken? That is a report we want to believe, and that's a report we want to repeat. And what we repeat, Lord, help us to eventually believe more and more and more and more. Thank you. We trust you. And we say yes in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.